0: I want to set the text up by saying this. You wouldn't want me to uh, to teach you on rebuilding a car engine. Uh, I just don't have the experience to be able to do that. I've never done it before. You also wouldn't want me to be up here telling you how to bake a cake. Why? Because you would end up with something that certainly wasn't pleasing to the eye. It would not be Instagram worthy. I've never done it, you see. So I have little to give you. Well, in the same way tonight, I feel very ill-equipped to speak about what Peter is going to talk about. He's writing about suffering. suffering, And he's talking about suffering for the name of Christ. And frankly, me, Ryan Anderson, I have suffered very, very little in my life in the service of my King. And I'm nervous therefore that my words will be hollow and trite. Now I don't know about you, I would imagine that some of you have gone through quite a lot to, to shoulder and to take the name Christ on. And tonight Peter is going to address that. I just need to let you out there, let this out at the beginning, that I'm just simply saying that I sort of tremble in my boots because I'm a man that is speaking about something that experientially he's not very well acquainted with. And so I'm trying to say I have a lot to learn. And I have a lot to learn with you. And maybe Jesus might teach us tonight. Let's read together 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. <clears throat> this is God's word. It is given to us in love. And uh, we would do well to, to give our ear to it. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will, it be, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls <clears throat> to a faithful Creator while doing good. Well, amen. The grass withers and the flower fades but the Word of our God stands forever. And let's uh, pray and ask God to help us now. Lord, how are we to speak and listen and learn about things that perhaps are so foreign for many of us? We pray that You would teach us tonight and by Your Spirit that You would open our eyes to see and to be instructed. And Lord, we know and unless you show up by your Spirit, that that nothing that goes on here is going to be effective for anything. And so would you please, please come and be our teacher tonight? And would you use a crooked arrow, me, to deliver a straight blow, your word? And would we all be encouraged? And will we see how amazing the love that Jesus has for sinners, how amazing it is tonight? And we lift this all up in his name, amen. Well, <clears throat> unless you've been maybe... Buried under a rock for the past couple of years, or or uh, maybe you don't like scary shows. That might be another reason. Uh, but the rest of us have probably seen the television show on Netflix, Stranger Things. Okay, so it's uh, any, any fans out there? Am I just okay? Okay, all right. That's that's good enough. That's good enough. Hang with me on this. Okay, uh, it's a show about a small little boring town in Hawkins, Indiana. And these are the events that happen. Um, a young boy goes missing. A psychokinetic girl shows up. And an alien figure called a demigorgon uh, wreaks havoc on several people's lives. Okay? Now, one of the show's main themes is that there exists, right behind the world that we see, another world. A world called the... Upside down. That's exactly... Okay, great. Wonderful. And as the show unfolds, the characters begin to see what was once strange to them, that there is another world out there, and yet very much their own world that they simply couldn't see upon first pass. And all I can say is, is that if you haven't seen this yet, please get thee to a Netflix quickly. I mean, it really is, it really is a show that's amazing because of this. It's a show about friendship, Right? It's a show about friendship. I mean, what's, and what's the number one rule of friendship, folks? What? That friends don't lie. Friends don't lie. And it's about growing up, and it's just, it's an amazing show. A little confessional moment here, I must tell you. I watched the uh, season finale of season two, uh, two nights ago, and, I, and this is what happened. I'm just playing. I'm totally playing. But I will tell you what happened. Hang with me. I cried like a baby. Okay, it was amazing. Okay, enough, enough, enough. What does all this have to do with with First Peter? Well, <clears throat> things that are strange don't fit into our paradigms, do they? That's what they are by definition. Things that are strange don't fit into our paradigms. Instead, otherwise, things are strange because we don't expect them. And Peter's words tonight come to us as a bit of an orientation. In other words, they set how our expectations ought to be. And what is the thing that he says or he seeks to orient us rightly about? Very simply, it's about suffering. That's the thing that he's seeming to make the right side up with, okay? And you might see, you know why, right? For a thousand reasons, suffering in the Christian life for most Westerners feels very strange. That whole concept that I might suffer For just being a Christian is very strange. It's foreign to us. In a very real way tonight, I feel like that I have, like I mentioned earlier, I just have so very little ground to stand on and to speak on because of my own story. And here's the thing. We're shocked, right, when we have to endure suffering for the name of Christ. Why? Here's the reason. We're not really reading our Bibles. We're shocked because we're not really reading our Bibles rightly. Why? Because it's all over the place. And Jesus himself has said it. And here's what I'm hoping for tonight, y'all. I'm hoping to tell you true things. Can we be friends tonight? Right? Can I not lie to you tonight? Because that's what Peter wants to be able to do with us as well. He wants to help us see things rightly. And he wants to help us to see the truth. And he's going to say this, that if you follow Jesus, to follow Jesus is to walk in his way. And it is to walk the way of the sufferer. Not at every point in your life, but it will happen. It is a given. And so tonight, I'd just really like to highlight three things. I'd like to say that, the, I'd like to say that suffering, is, we see it in its givenness or the givenness of suffering. Secondly, the glory of suffering. And then thirdly, Peter is going to show us the God in suffering. So the givenness of suffering, the glory of suffering and the God in suffering. Let's take a look at this idea of of the givenness, the givenness of suffering. I'm going to get us to turn and uh, take a look at verse 12. So turn your eyes there. He says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Well, he talks about this idea of the fiery trial, and that's Peter's language of talking about suffering. And so it's important for us to understand a little bit about what kind of suffering Peter is talking about. See, he's not just talking about your garden variety type of suffering. He's not talking about, you know, uh, you know um, a tornado comes or it tears up your property or, you know, if uh, some sort of natural disaster happens in your world. You see, it, that, happens, that happens everywhere across the face of the world. And he's not specifically talking about that at all. Also, look, when he talks about suffering, he's not talking about this as well. Did you see it down there in verse 16? Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But just above that, he gives a contrast. And he says in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. So what he's saying is, he said, I'm not talking about the suffering that might come your way for being, for being a jerk. See, if you go home over the holidays and you're self-righteous to your friends and to your family and they give you an earful because of it, and uh, then you say, see, that's what it is. That's what I'm suffering. I'm suffering for being a Christian. P- Peter's not talking about that. What's he talking about? He's saying this. He says, verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. This idea the type of sufferings that Christ himself suffered because he himself walked faithfully with his Heavenly Father. So basically, the type of suffering that he is talking about is the suffering that comes in the life of a Christian for simply being obedient to Jesus, for walking in his ways, and believing and testifying and owning the very things that Jesus himself wants us and calls for us to to own and to walk in. And here's the thing that Peter is saying about this. It is given. Because how do we know that? Verse 12, it says this, do not be surprised at it. The Greek in there is literally this. It says, as though a strange thing. So there's the title of the sermon. As though a strange thing were happening to you. Don't be shocked. In other words, Peter is saying this. If you follow Jesus, you need to know this, that you will suffer. I wish I could clean that up. I can't. I cannot clean that up friend of mine, a fellow former campus minister um, tells the story, he's talking about suffering, but he's talking the story about uh, there was this, he was, while he was on campus, there were these two guys that were buddies we were talking about one of them one of them uh, sort of had this pattern where he would date a girl and uh, after they dated for, you know, they went out four or five times or whatever and however long it lasted and she always broke up with him and would either go go back to the, the boyfriend she had before him or uh, find a new boyfriend and then immediately they would, they would get married. Like it just happened like that. Like he was the guy and then there was somebody else and then she would go get married. And that happened multiple times to him. And so they, he had a nickname. His nickname was the Clarifier. <laughs> that is sort of a self-described name because it, just made, it made sense of things. Now, why do I share that with you? Peter is saying something. There's a clarifier for your life. And it's suffering. Suffering clarifies who you are. It clarifies very, very clearly where in the line falls that runs down the line for every human being in the face of the world with Christ or not. Suffering will tell you really quickly where you are. Is this real? Is this real for me in my heart? Or is this something I just, my parents had and I grew up with? Or, you know, this is the cultural thing because I come from certain parts of the country, whatever. Suffering, he's saying, is the, is the great clarifier. Listen to what one writer says. This, we'll put this up on the screen. I love this. This comes from a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who did, in fact, suffer for Jesus. He writes this. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. And you can find the rest of the quote on the screen. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And in a very, very, very famous phrase when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And if that weren't enough for you, listen to Jesus' very own words from Mark chapter 8 If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me. To take up the cross is to take up an instrument of death. Jesus is saying this. He is saying that if you want to follow me, it will feel like death. And you're going, man, why in the world would I come to this? Why in the world would I come and hear this guy talk like this? I'm trying to be your friend. Trying to tell you true things. Friends don't lie. And that's what the scriptures are saying. Peter is saying this, he doesn't want you to be surprised by the reality that following Jesus has for you in your life. If you have a Christianity that doesn't account for this, what do you think will happen when suffering comes in your world? Does that make sense? Do you have a Christianity that, uh, that accounts for suffering in the life? Because if not, when that data point happens, you will either deny it, say it's not real, say it's not part of my life because Christians shouldn't have to suffer or you'll deny and reject Christianity. Those are the only two ways to resolve the tension in a world that doesn't have the place for suffering in the Christian life. Again, I'm trying to tell you true things, and I want to say this, that this needs to be talked about on campus, because suffering is part of the Christian life. Most of us simply do not believe that by the way we live our lives, that 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 is true. We're smart, right? We can take things out to their logical end in our thinking. And we often abandon faithfulness to Jesus, following Him in a particular way, that is, because we know if we do so, it will likely hurt in some way. Y'all follow me on that? You look down the road and you say, if I follow Jesus down there, that's going to hurt. So I'll just go this way. Peter's saying... Are you surprised? Your Lord walked this path ahead of you. A servant is not greater than his master. The givenness of suffering. That's one of the things he wants for us to be able to see tonight. Here's the thing, y'all. I've talked to many of you year in and year out as students, as your campus minister. And I want you to see that God is faithful to you. He will keep you to the end. But one of the reasons that college is so difficult, again, for most of us, again, for most of us, is because we have lived highly privileged, easygoing lives that have sheltered us from learning how to walk with Jesus in real suffering. And when it comes crashing home in your life, you go, what? Right? And what Peter is trying to say is, I want you to see the givenness of it. Now at this point it's easy to, to, to get discouraged, to throw your hands up in the air and to even say, "Whoa, what about all that happy clappy club stuff about being a Christian that I thought it was supposed to be like? Is that all there? You know, is that is that is it is that real or not? Is our suffering pointless? In other words?" And Peter wants to assure us that it most certainly is not, and that's what we turn secondly now to the idea of the glory in suffering. We looked at the givenness of suffering and now we look at the glory in or of suffering. Take a look with me at verses 13 to 14. I already read them a little bit. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering <clears throat> that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, <coughs> you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Suffering can be seen excuse me, y'all, I'm sorry, (coughs) in such a way that it causes us to rejoice. Now, isn't that crazy? I mean, Peter, are you for real? And he most certainly is, because Peter sees something beyond the suffering. He sees what most of our eyes cannot see. They're not skilled enough at seeing. He is saying this, that when we share in Christ's sufferings, that we share in Christ's blessedness as well, His happiness in other words, we are able to rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we get to participate in Christ's glory finally revealed. Y'all know this. We've talked about this for weeks, that this is the great hope of, this, of the Christian, that you get Christ, and that to walk in His ways is to get to taste and to know and to see Him forever. That's the great promise of the Gospel. And what Peter is trying to get you to see tonight is that Peter is saying that when you go through suffering, it is evidence that the Spirit of God is upon you, verse 14. So think about it. It's very, very simple if you give me 30 seconds to kind of explain it. If you are suffering as a Christian, the whole reason you are suffering is why? Because you are a Christian. And... And if you are doing that, you are swimming against the current of the world around you. Its values, that could be extreme persecution, and it could just be something that's like being excluded from a group, not being included anymore, Uh, somebody saying a harsh word against you. And the point is is that that would not be true of you if you weren't a Christian. If you're suffering for being a Christian, you're suffering for your Christian. You'll you'll see what I'm getting at there. The point is, is this, it's God's presence in your life that is causing you to suffer, as it were. And the knowledge of this is meant to be profoundly glorious for you. Why? Here it is. Why is it so glorious? Because it's evidence of the future hope that you have with Him. People who are not Christians do not suffer for being a Christian. That makes sense, right? People who do not suffer For not being a Christian, they don't suffer because they're not Christians. It's that simple. And that's what Peter wants you to see. That's what Peter wants you to understand. Let me tell you a little story about my own life in college, maybe to illustrate this. For the majority of my days in college, uh, I was your quintessential party kid. Um, The fraternity that I was in, I I called myself a a front row rocker. When we would have band parties, I was right there on the front row, living it up large. But later in my life, Uh, And later in my college life, particularly, Jesus came into my life. And I quit partying so much, and I wanted to live differently because of all that Jesus had done for me personally. And so my life, slowly but surely, began to look a little different. And then what happened was amazing. My old friends that I'd been friends with for three and a half years began to make other plans without me. Date parties and football game tickets were now done without a phone call. They weren't being mean. They were not. I promise you that. My life was different. And, and it was this weird season that I knew that the reason I was being left out was precisely because of what Christ had done in my life. And yet, beyond it all, I knew the one thing that had changed was that I now had Jesus. And I had Him Forever. And so the suffering, the exclusion was seen in the light of the great glory that I would have for him forever. Now, why do I should this with you? That will happen to you. For some of you, I've met with you and I've talked with you one-on-one and you said, that has happened to me. And I just want to let you know there's glory there. Because Jesus has got you. He owns you. He walks with you. He will comfort you along the way. And that's meant to be profoundly encouraging for you because what I want you to see is, is that the way this comes crashing home into our lives is for you to be able to see that when you are going through suffering for the name of Christ, that it can be a profoundly glorious and hopeful thing because Jesus is right there with you and you are participating, the text says, in that future glory that will be yours. You will be able to experience that one day and it comes crashing into this life. As well, Let's take a look lastly at this last point here. Peter too knows it's hard to see the glory in the givenness of suffering. So he doesn't just say, that's life, get over it, <clears throat> bear down and get used to it. No, rather he provides us with an incredible resource in our own suffering. And you might be shocked to know that it's not 10 steps. It's not five new strategies. In fact, it isn't a plan at all. He gives us something else. He gives us a person. A person. Let's take a look, lastly, at the God that is with us in our suffering. You saw it there in verse 13 and you saw it in verse 19 as well. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial in verse 13 when it comes to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The main idea I'm trying to drive home at this point, y'all, is that when we suffer, we always suffer with the Lord with us. The Christian may suffer, but she will never, ever, 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 ever suffer alone. And that's really, really, really good news. A few years ago, uh, I ran across this story that came up. Um, the end of the first century. Y'all know the gospel writer John that we talk about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? John had a disciple, funny name. The guy's name was Polycarp. Polycarp. And uh, he lived to be about 86 years old, but by the end of his life, the Roman government was trying to force him to deny Christ in his life. But Polycarp refused, and so the Romans tried to to burn him at the stake. It lit a fire underneath him. And uh, they basically said, deny Christ or burn. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in that position, I'd be like, I'm done. Y'all, y'all put the water on it. I'm out. You know what I mean? I'm, I'd call off the dogs um, because I'm so pain averse. That's not what he did. A, uh, an eyewitness recorded this, and you can go and read about this if you'd like. But these were Polycarp's last words as his hands are being tied to the stake. For 86 years, um, I have served Christ. And he has done me no evil. How could I curse my king who saved me? End of the quote. And then instead of cursing his murderers, he prayed these words out loud. Lord, sovereign God, I thank you that you have deemed me worthy of this moment. For this, I bless and glorify you. Amen. And with that, he died peaceably in the flames. Now, I just want to ask you this question. How in the world could this man face that kind of circumstance with that kind of contentment? That kind of peace. I mean, we tend to think of like, I can't even face like my next test. I can't face if this girl doesn't like me if she says something mean on me about me on social media. Like I can't deal with the breakup that I've just had. There's nothing I'm, I understand there's sorrow there. My life's falling apart. Ah, you know, whatever. Polycarp is smelling smoke. The crackle of the timber is piercing his ears. And he's content. Do you know that you can have that? You know why you can have it? Because the same God that was with Polycarp is with you today. And so that means when you face whatever trials might come your way, that you have a God that's with you in it. That He is the one that is with you right there. And so no matter what the suffering is that you're going through, the same God that was with Polycarp, the same God that was with Peter, is with you in your life. So what is it for you? What is the thing that unnerves you about following Jesus that in this moment you are so afraid of? I know it's something for you. I don't know what it is, but I know it is something for you. And I'm here to tell you tonight, there is hope, brother and sisters, because Jesus is with you. He is with you in the midst of it. To comfort and to strengthen you. You may suffer, but you may never suffer alone. And that is the great hope that Peter wants you to understand. Because if you're not going through something right now, the day is coming, it will happen. And I'm trying to be your friend. I don't want to lie to you. The God that rescued His people out of Egypt is with you. And He will be with you. He promises to be with you. So I don't know what it is for you tonight, but whatever it is, God Himself will meet you in the midst of it. Let me begin to land the plane. The reason that many of us don't suffer because we've run away from it at every turn is because we've lost sight of the real value of the hope that we have. We either, one, don't see it, or we don't know the value of what it is that we do see. We talked a little bit about this in the life of, in our freshman Bible study yesterday, and I thought it was so profound to just talk about it, and I'll highlight it in just a moment. But I want you to hear one of my favorite authors, an author named Fyodor Dostoevsky. He wrote a book once, it's a tome, uh, but uh, I'm actually uh, just now reading it, but it is amazing, and it's called The Brothers Karamazov. And in it, he has this quote, and if we can put it up on the screen, that would be great. There'll be two slides. He says this. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, and that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man. He's just diminutizing our small minds. But in the world's finale... At the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, of the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood they've shed, and it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify or to put to right what has happened. You've heard me mention that earlier this semester, but I want you to hear it again. The suffering is so hard. Why? Because we lose sight of how valuable and wonderful and beautiful Christ and the Christian hope is. I love my little daughter Iris, but she is so easily fooled. Uh, She'll be playing with a toy and it'll be one of her older sisters. And all the older sister has to do is to grab something else that will catch her eye and they'll get the toy back. Does that make sense? Like all you got to do, it's like the easiest trick in the world. If Iris has got something and you want what Iris has, you just go find something else to take her eyes off that thing because she wants it more. And that's the point. The only way that you'll ever get your eyes off of your suffering and you'll begin to see it in its proper context is if you begin to see the real value of what you have in Jesus. You see, you actually already understand this in your life. Hang with me on this. You'll permit or suffer. That's what the word means. suffer means. It means to permit, to put up with. You'll suffer difficult classes every day of your your college career to get that degree. You'll do it. You know what you'll also do? You'll suffer the small frustrations of a boyfriend or a girlfriend for the joy, the greater thing, of having their company, of being around them. Right? You will spend endless hours on the treadmill, early hours even need be, to get your spring break break body. You'll do it. You'll suffer that. And here's the thing. Why? Because there's something better that far outweighs the pain in the moment to get that bigger thing. And what Peter is saying for the Christian, it's already given to you. You get Jesus. Jesus. You get the hope that He brings. And when you begin to see that and the weight of it and the value of it and how beautiful it is, your suffering is seen in context in such a way that as Jesus gets bigger, as He gets bolder and more beautiful to you, and what He has done for you begins to pound in more on your heart, your suffering begins to see, it's seen in its proper context. Peter is saying this, that you have a heavenly inheritance. From verse one, chapter four, 4, 4 1, chapter one, verse four, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you believe you have that right now? If you're in Jesus, Oh Lord, make our Jesus great that we might see our our sufferings as small. That's what I want for every single one of you. That's what I want for you. So I want you to see what Peter himself saw. I want you to see what Peter saw the wild love about, the wild love of God for you. That God has for sinners, for imperfect people, for people who don't deserve it, that God has for you in Christ. And how can we know that it's true? Because of this. Do you know Peter's story? Do you remember it? You're going to deny me, Peter. No, I'm not, Jesus. Cockle doodle doo What happens? Peter has denied him three times. And then Peter says this, he goes on later in the book of John and we learn that Jesus restores him. And he's actually going to say, Peter, you're going to die for me. This Peter that we're reading about, Peter, you are going to die for me. And he gives his life up for Jesus and you just kind of go, why? What happened? What, cha- what happened? It's because he saw what's on offer for you. That he saw Christ giving himself up for you. How do we know that? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Christ also suffered, the righteous for the unrighteous. And that's you, that he might bring us to God. How does Jesus win you? How does he secure you to himself forever and give you new power by his spirit to live for him? What's the way that he does it? He suffers. And here's the thing he sees it all, he sees your life, he sees all of you, and he gladly gives himself up for you. And when you begin to see that, friends, you can see and say, But Dostoevsky and Peter saw and said, friends don't lie. Friends don't lie. Don't be surprised. Christ is with you. Let's pray.